Hey everyone, Adam here. Thanks for tuning in. We'll get to a fun episode in just a moment. I wanted to apologize for the frequency of audio issues in recent episodes. Uh, I don't really know where all of them are coming from, but uh, this episode features a repeated electronic clicking noise in my track that we've tried to edit around as well as we can. But um, it seems to be something in my sound card, motherboard, something like that. Fortunately, this was the last episode of Nightfall that was recorded with the mic that I've been using since uh, Dice Punk started. And the mic you're hearing me on now when I'm recording this in post is actually the one I will be using going forward. And so if it is something to have to do with the audio interface uh, that I had been using, then hopefully it will be gone forever. I can't make any promises, but that's the hope. Uh, otherwise, we continue to experiment with procedures and sound filters and all those sorts of things to try and make audio less peaky and less clicky. So hopefully everything is coming together shortly, and thank you for putting up with it. With that, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Dice Punks, a tabletop role-playing podcast where we focus on playing full campaigns in less well-known systems. This week in episode 22, our heroes defend Theret from siege and themselves from their relatives' disdain. Hello and welcome. I'm Adam, your friendly neighborhood game master, and joining me are... Hello, I'm Drew, and I'll be playing Dosk Tier, regal of nothing, who promises everything, and will deliver something in between. I'm Robin, and I'll be playing Lissa, just Lissa, Duchess of Fury. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Romnet, and I'll be playing the Prophet of the Obsidian God. No, really, the real prophet. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for those introductions. So uh, let's, before we get started, have Des, you can roll for your uh, bonus experience. Yep. Let me get my dice. That is six. That is a pair of eights. Wunderbar. Which for all of our non-German speakers means wonderful. Ah. For all of our non-German speakers, means wunderbar. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. All right. So uh, Romnet gets a mortal experience point. Uh, is anybody spending any experience this time? Do you think? Yes. Let me get to opening my character sheet like I should have done a few minutes ago. <laughs> That's all right. I knew I needed 5 XP for a thing. And I think the only thing that you really need 5 XP for is a master die. Right? Uh, going from an expert die to a master die is indeed well, yes. 5 XP. Uh, going from so 4 to 5 in particular uh, skills. Yeah, also. but the only thing I have 4 in is lore, and mm. having 6 dice in that pool was already pretty chill. So I think indeed. what I had intended to do, since I didn't leave myself a note last time, more for <laughs> me, was to go from an expert die to a master die in counterspell. Well, most excellent. So you will then be quite adept at counterspelling. It'll be four plus a master die for that one. Yep. 
Do either of us nobles have any counter spell at all? Because I have I have zero. Zip. Zilch. (laughs) Yeah, but like, do either of you have sorcery as a skill? No. Or do you just rely on the fact that you're miraculous? We lean on that pretty hard. I'm speaking mm-hmm. only for myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think if there's no other XP expenditure going on this time, then the next step is for Lissa to uh, recap our last time for us. Your intro is on point as always, Holly Hawkod, but my recap may not be as something truly nightmarish and unspeakably dark happened last week. My Mima offended the tears. But I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Um, we went to check on the big them L stairs. Abruptly, shadows began to bubble from the well. You know, the, the normal fa- fair and fermata. I did my best to protect those around me, but we were quickly overtaken. Largely because the well wasn't exactly the source. The darkness was rising all over Fermata uniformly. Then it overtook us. Darkness. An absolute lack of sensation. I was enough in my mind to worry for Apatia, but then darkness seemed to cloud my mind too. After an eternity and an instant, the perfect darkness withdrew, and uh, I, I felt great. <laughs> Better than great. The shadow was a abrupt gift from Mutt, but it came at two costs. First, it seemed to change everyone. Even I look a little different, though no less charming. Dosk's hair is just enviable. Anyway, we shortly learned that we were in the... Uh, er, Shadow Spa, for lack of a better phrase, for 30 days, which meant that we were late providing help to the tears. After checking on our guest, who is without a permanent hangover, thankfully, and Apatia, we quickly left Ramada, which leads us to that unsavory family reunion. Mima was her usual self, uh, very excited until she discovered I was not, in fact, betrothed to Dosk, um, suddenly regretting making that joke to begin with for multiple reasons, uh, but, she, you know, she still tried. She gave me a compliment about my strength, um, lack of creativity there. Anyway, it seems that the city of, oh gosh, what's the name of the city? <laughs> Ferret. Ferret. Ferret, okay. It seems that the city of Theret is under siege by strange creatures that are just setting up camp on the shores. Uh, they're slowly bankrupting themselves by shifting their trades away from the shore. Um, there was a, there was a lot of talk of politics, and uh, frankly, I, I was a little distracted by uh, the untimely family reunion. But before things could get too uncomfortable, we received word that our friends aboard the Swift of Ferret had returned. And that's where we left off last time. Thank you very much. Uh, for our listeners at home, while we have been recording in this short interval, my chair has started to make an infernal squeaking noise as I shift around in it. So I will attempt to edit around it, but I apologize for any such sounds that make it through into the episode. It's not so, coming through to Discord, at least. Yeah, I'm not here. That's good. I'm sure that it is on my local recording, though. So, we pick up in the council room. 
staring contest between Dask and Creasus Tear is you know, sort of going strong when this messenger bursts in and reports that the Swift of Theret has arrived back in the harbor. The first person to react is Uncle Melly. He springs from his chair and says, Take me to it! Now! And runs out of the room. Immediate reactions? I'm just going to run with him. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> Fair enough. I assume then that Ramnet follows Dosk. Yeah, I think that, that following Dosk outweighs my otherwise preference for staying behind figuring out what exact politics is going on. <laughs> I think as I start to leave, though, I do turn back to to uh, to, to old Creus's tear, and I I, I do say uh, my uh, my deepest apologies for having to cut this audience short, but another of my projects has come to fruition. A moment. Uh, probably only Dusk then hears as Creus's tear mutters as the door closes behind you. What is that fool boy talking about? Uh, and then the door shuts. Uncle Melly, for his part, uh, quite light on his feet for his age, uh, and uh, has a decent head start. Uh, you also notice uh, that uh, Ilari uh, sort of reappears in the uh, hallway, seeing him going past and says, Melly, what's... And then as he passes, just tries to catch up to him as well. So now Uncle Melly has sort of a gaggle of people following after him. Uh, when he arrives, uh, are we his... all imagining the appropriate amount of yakety sex? Yes, presumably, clearly, <laughs> it's a lot of very yakety sex. Do I need to? I mean, I, I, I was not aware of imagining it. I <laughs> yeah. thought Adam had, had it playing this whole time. Are you saying you can't hear it? Uh, I can't get the rights to yakety sex. <laughs> you talking about? Uh, so, Uncle Melly turns out to be heading not to the front door, but to the stable and livery, uh, sort of. Uh, entrance to the estate where he barges through the door yelling for a coach to be um, boy there is a word here uh, prepared let's go with and then there's a more technical word that I have in, failed in, to, to think of in coached is that it <laughs> hitched maybe yeah, sure. anyway I think that's mostly for wagons mm, you're probably right I'd, I'd uh, hitch isn't fancy enough for coaches. Yeah, I'd hitch my coach to that guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in short order, uh, a team of four strong horses is, uh, well, fancily hitched to a very nice coach that first Melly, and then after a couple of breaths, Larry, and then presumably after a couple of more breaths, the other three of you pile into. <laughs> uh, can I ride with the driver? I don't see how he could stop you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do that and, you know, strike up amicable conversation with him. Well, in that case, uh, we should probably get a mm, charm plus graces unless you're trying to flirt with or hit on him. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit too distracted to be on my A-game, so I'll go with charm plus graces. Five dice. <laughs> I had a brief moment where I could not tell if a four was a four or seven, but I have two fours. All right. So Solid. Uh, you, you, you know, uh, make an acquaintance of the driver. It's, you know, friendly little chat as you go. You uh, 
uh, find uh, an interest of his, let's say, in local brewing, uh, and you chat amicably as the carriage rolls on. Um, Dosk, I am assuming, and therefore probably also Romnet, are in the carriage with Meli and Alary. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I make sure Romnet enters before I do. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure he's well aware, though we haven't spoken on it, the little things matter a lot in this sort of situation. <laughs> As you settle down, uh, Melly and Larry are conversing sort of tensely and quietly, but uh, as the door closes and the carriage lurches into rev- somewhat dangerously rapid motion, at least for the pedestrians in the, in the path, um, Melly looks up at you, Dusk, and says, well, nephew, what do you know about this? Well, uh, let me roll lie. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's going to be six dice for you. You bet it is. Uh, here I come... forget how good you are at lying. <laughs> I'm no slouch. That is two eights. Excellent. All right. What are you saying? What I'm saying is, when we had to depart from Diamok, very suddenly we left the matter in the hands of supernatural forces. I steal a glan- uh, glance at Romnet, and then I, uh, I, I, d- I do not flare my fingers and make a spooky, spooky motion. <laughs> Or at least I don't do it with my hands. I might do it with my eyes and my voice. Uh, but I the whole party does hair. it spiritually. Yes, and I, <laughs> I mean, if if you'd like, I can roll lie to back him up on this. <laughs> if you without would like actually to. offering any specifics, just you know, that pair of ones should become a pair of sevens now. Indeed, it should. So, yeah, you successfully go along with the uh, overall uh, intent here. I I do not elaborate further except to say, fate cast to a dark wind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dosk. Uncle Melly spins... About a breath and a half, just kind of looking at you somewhat flatly, and then turns to Alary and say, "Do you see what I mean?" And she nods solemnly. Uh, Uncle Lily turns back to you with a sigh and says, "What are the chances that the original captain and crew are on that ship with a hold full of exotic goods?" Better than bad those chances what else we might find uh i cannot necessarily speak to he seems torn between relief and annoyance but he lapses into silence probably the best i can hope for here (laughs) probably probably the best yeah uh so Lissa, you have a short list of local ales and beers that you need to try before you leave Ferret. Or you'll regret it, I swear. Uh, And uh, you see that Lid Manor, while not being close enough to the harbor for the smell to be a problem, 
is strategically constructed on a main thoroughfare that runs more or less straight to the Harbor District. You are making great time. And, hmm, you know, I have a, a hankering to make Lissa roll for this. Oh, no. Was <laughs> that just no? I said, oh, no. <laughs> uh, would have been better if it had been now. Yeah, it would have been better. Some, I still have to pull that out of my pocket at some point, but I'm too nice a person. <laughs> certainly have been very, very funny. Uh <laughs> I'm going to hate you for this, but roll sets plus sight two dice. I knew it! <laughs> I should have said no! It's not my fault you put a total of three points in two sets skills. Look, I wanted a character with wow. himbo energy. Mm-hmm. And I- oh, you succeeded wow. marvelously. I got paramounts! I got paramounts! Excellent. I yelled it again, so, so I was not peeking. <laughs> You're all right. That was the most uh, victorious you... pair of ones in the history of any game, by the way. That was, and you know what? It's sufficient because you are in the process of replying when you wrinkle your brow as you notice something kind of down the hill in the harbor that you're approaching, because you recognize the rigging of the Swift of Ferret. It's got this little emblem, its pennant flying from the mast. But next to it, on either side of it, you see entirely unfamiliar rigging. In fact, rigging that does not look like any other rigging in the harbor. These sails are square and seem to be made weirdly, strangely, concerningly, of wool. There were a, a ship lot of on sheep. either side. There were a lot of sheep, right? There were. There were. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe one of the observations that you had while you were in Diamacor was that more or less all of the clothing was made from some combination of wool and leather. Mm-hmm. Uh, very little other uh, textile seemed to to be present. So I just go upgrades. <laughs> The riggings are giving me big, ah, yes, the two genders energy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure enough, as the uh, carriage rounds the last bend on the way to the harbor, there is the Swift of Ferret, looking a little bedraggled, but whole and seemingly fully crewed, between two ships, smaller ones, Oddly constructed ones, made of a darker kind of wood, with these large, anomalously heavy woolen sails. And there is a reason why wool is not the material of choice for sails uh, in Taraxis. But um, they are entirely unlike the other ships in the harbor. Meanwhile, inside the carriage, Meli and Larry have been holding a quiet murmured conference, seemingly about unrelated matters, leaving Dost and Ramnut more or less to their own devices. Anything in particular you are doing or discussing? Eavesdropping. All right. So go ahead and roll for me a sense plus hearing, which is five dice. That is three tens. Most impressive. They are discussing somebody named Rowena and the confusing messages 
that Ilari has received from her recently. They don't know what to make of them. Okay. Abruptly, the carriage pulls to a stop. You can smell the salt water on the air. You must be at the harbor. You can also smell the fish guts, the tar, the pitch, all the other stuff that comes to the harbor. The usual accoutrement. Indeed. Uncle Melly, as soon as the carriage pulls to a stop, flings open the door, and it would be inaccurate to say storms out, but there's a similar amount of energy behind his much more confident, much less sullen strut. Ilari follows him, and presumably the two of you do as well. Lissa, are you getting off of the driver's seat, or are you just kind of hanging back? <laughs> I, I'm going to get off the driver's seat with the rest of the group, but I am going to give him a firm handshake before I go and say thanks for the conversation, my friend. <laughs> uh, he thanks you as well and suggests that you go out for drinks sometime. Oh, happily. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever wants he to gives go out you for drinks. <laughs> a big toothy grin. Now, during all of this, it would be unfair to say that you all lost sight, uh, or lost track of Apatia, rather. Uh, she seemed to have sort of receded into the background in the council room and tried to be unnoticed, uh, and more or less tried to find someplace private uh, to, to hang in the estate uh, when you were leaving. However, a glance back down the road that you just uh, traveled through on your carriage will see that she is pelting at a dead sprint, which is very fast for her. She seems to be using an aspect miracle of some kind uh, down this road behind the coach with a mm, look of something between alarm and panic on her face. I'm going to hang back and wait for her since I was letting the other group kind of get a head start anyway. Sure. Melly marches right up to the gangplank of the Swift of Theret, ignoring the two ships beside it. Nas, you get your first good look at these two ships. They are much as I have described, and you can see now that they are crewed by a Diamacor. You can tell from the clothing, the stature, the fair hair. Uh, is uh, is somebody within within speaking distance? Could I try greeting them in Diamac? None of the Diamacor are coming down off the ships just yet okay oh i'm itching so I'm they are itching. probably within i am itching to do shouting that. Okay. distance Ooh, you know what i'm gonna shout in diamok and i'm gonna because then everyone <laughs> will hear me doing it uh, uh -huh. that's what i'm gonna do yeah i shout i shout in diamok and what i what i what i try to say is uh is ho there travelers and tradesmen so go ahead and roll knowledge plus language diamok okay it's gonna be six dice the same six treated me yeah. all earlier so here we go yeah, the study abroad went well. <laughs> How dare you? I dropped the die, so I'm going to roll a different one. Okay. All right. That comes out two, three ones. All right. You maybe get the word order wrong, but you're pretty sure that you're intelligible. Uh, and a couple of the Diamok sailors. Sailors? Well, the Diamok, uh, anyway. Uh, are, you know, sort of look up from what they're doing and look down at you and one or two seem to recognize you and give you a little wave. The others look confused. In the meantime, Captain has come down the gangplank accompanied by her first mate and somebody that you are very surprised to see. 
it takes you a moment. You're like, uh, at first you recognize and then you place. Uh, walking next to the captain is Imbi, the little girl uh, from the uh, encounter with the cat beast whose mother was trying to fight it when she turned into a wolf beast. She looks... Well, her bearing is different. And in fact, after a moment, you realize she's an obelis. She has quite a bright spiritual aura around her, in fact. Just shy of Apatia's. Apatia, for her part, zooms up, skids to a stop, and more or less just stands still, staring wide-eyed at Envy as they come down the gangplank. Uncle Melly is already at the base of the gangplank, waiting uh, for Captain to arrive at the bottom. Where are we moving in this very moment? I'm just going to go hug all their arrivals. I may shout something like, Envy, welcome to the club, and then uh, remember that she can't speak my language. Uh, but <laughs> hope that my wide arm gesture and big toothy grin um, relays the excitement at seeing her and Captain again. Dusk? I'm still close to the party that's greeting. I think uh -huh. I think someone needs to go check on what Apatia is so concerned about, though I have my suspicions. But before I turn to her, I whisper to Uncle Melly, I want to teach him a Diamak greeting. Since he's about to be mm. the, uh, the the you know the the the, head, the tip of the spear, as it were, diplomatically speaking. Yeah, uh, you you teach him the word for something like "welcome to our place." Ramnat, <laughs> uh, anything in particular? Uh, since I have no idea what's going on, no. <laughs> Fair enough. In response to Lissa's greeting, Imbi gives you an extremely formal bow with a very small smile playing around her lips. For the listener, if you don't remember, Imbi is around six years old, uh, a relatively small uh, Diamak child. Captain gets a sour look on her face when she sees you, uh, though, you know, this seems like a relatively fond reaction from her uh, compared to your interactions with her on the, the ship and she says oh it's you well thank you for your help returning to Taraxis and Uncle Melly uh, sort of gives her a small incline of the head which is quite a big honor coming from you know a sort of prime head of family to a ship's captain uh, and she gives a sweeping bow. Imbi, for her part, stands very impassive and still, and Uncle Melly turns to her and gives her the welcome that Dosk taught him. Uh, and Captain says, Well, minimal thanks to these buffoons. We did make it back. As you can see, we had to help the locals construct their own ships, pointing to either ship on either side, but they took to it like fish to water. Amazing engineers, as some of what we have on board I'm sure will show you. Uncle Melly 
almost melts in relief. I mean, to anybody but Dosk, he, his posture doesn't change at all. But Dosk, you can see just like tension flowing out of him in waves. Uh, this is the equivalent of anybody else doing like a dance for joy. Ilari, for her part, looks absolutely mystified, but is trying to keep a lid on it. Apatia is standing stone still, staring in what looks like open horror at Imbi. If this were an anime, I would be moving sideways without moving at all. But the, the cell that is me would just be moving. And I would, would whisper, would, would, this is not an anime, so that's not literally what's happening, but that's the energy. And I, I, I say to Rom that these ships are from the far shores we reached, and uh, that's probably not enough information, but I move on to see what's going on with the patient. And I ask her, well, okay. close enough, and if this takes another turn, then, then make me wait. But I ask, is this yeah. your new sister? She nods, and she says, it is. She's wonderful, but this is monstrous. And she starts to cry relatively quietly. Uh, Uncle Melly is talking to Captain about what they have in their hold, and his demeanor is brightening by leaps and bounds as they speak. In the meantime, the Diamacor on the other two ships have started to uh, put the gangplanks down and sort of their sailors are mostly still staying on the ships, but their captains maybe, uh, seem to be coming down to sort of like wait in the periphery to maybe speak to someone. And Dosk, you're probably the only one that can notice this, but to your relatively trained eye, these ships are laden with cargo. They're sitting low enough in the water for their size that they are probably full holds. Anybody taking any particular action? I am going to go check on Impatia as well. Because <laughs> I'm probably want... very hyper aware of where Dosk and Romnet are and no. where um, Mima is and keen to put myself away from that <laughs> and then i probably notice that a patient seems distraught yeah uh you you walk up to her cheeks are wet with tears and she's biting her lip hard enough that you're worried about breaking skin uh her hands are sort of moving clenching and unclenching kind of an anxious thing uh you didn't hear the part where she told dosk that she's beautiful but this is monstrous but you kind of still get the vibe from her overall mood mm-hmm. um I'm not sure. I'm trying to think if I've ever mentioned. I'm just going to do the equivalent of handing her a kerchief, even that if that is offering her my literal sleeve. <laughs> she blows her nose into the wrist of your sleeve mm-hmm. uh, and wipes her face on your shoulder, and then sort of shakes herself and stands up and sa- uh, sort of says quietly, "Come with me, but stand slightly behind." And she approaches where Imbi is standing, watching all of this impassively. As she approaches Imbi, off to your right, by only a few feet, Meli, Ilari, and Captain are in close conversation. And Imbi is just standing there, sort of looking ahead impassively. And Apatia comes up close and gives what you know to be a 
Diamak greeting where she puts her hand sort of on her shoulder and bows slightly. And she says, Welcome, sister. It is a pleasure to meet you. Imbi repeats the gesture but says nothing. She turns, that is to say, Apatia turns to uh, Das Ramnet and Lissa and says, It is my pleasure to introduce my, well, sister in my familia Kylestis, Nix's second noble, Imbi, the Lady of Silence. Imbi inclines her head gracefully and says nothing. Silence. Napatia says very flatly, Silence. And Envy nods her head once. I uh I look at Envy and I ask Did you want this? Envy cocks her head to one side, raising an eyebrow and looking confused, but says nothing. Are you happy? Gimby cocks her head to the other side, shrugs, says nothing. What was that, Ramna? Can I roll knowledge and lore to improvise or call to mind some manner of hand sign that might allow for conversation? Hmm... You may, although I will warn you that even a glorious success will only begin a fairly long process. I mean, sure. We've done this before. Indeed. Six dice. Yep. So how is four sevens? Quite good, in fact. Um, <laughs> what are you attempting to sort of... What, if anything, are you attempting to sort of communicate initially? I am attempting to establish that one can communicate through hand sign in silence. <laughs> and essentially asking if this is agreeable or acceptable. Dask, Lissa, you see Romnet sort of like make a series of semi-pantomime, semi-symbolic gestures in Imbi's direction, and you feel, standing this close, a sort of release of miraculous energy from Imbi. As she watches closely what Ramnet is doing, and then returns a relatively elaborate set of signals that the two of you find somewhat inscrutable, but Ramnet, you interpret them as sort of an affirmative, with maybe even a sense of relief or gratitude as a grace note uh, to the reply. And currently, at this point, your attention is mostly on Imbi, Imbi's attention is mostly on you. Others seem to have faded a little bit from her awareness. 
less from Romnet's awareness, but certainly it takes a lot of your focus to undertake this project. The only person who seems put out by this development is Apatia. I uh, uh, give Apatia's elbow a light squeeze. Because um, I also find this development very upsetting. I just repeat monstrous. Possibly only a patient can hear me. And, well, really, we're all pretty huddled, so. <laughs> but only the group. Indeed. At this point, uh, you hear the captain give a sharp whistle with a hand signal to her crew, and a harbor crane run lumber run by rope pulleys swings out over the swift of ferret, and the unloading process begins. A small cheer goes up from the crew, and the captain stalks over to your group. Then again, she stalks pretty much everywhere she goes. Uh, at the same time, the two other ships from Diamagor uh, start to uh, unload manually, uh, as carrying crates down the gangplank uh, in teams of two or four. Uh, and Uncle Melly is sort of gesturing broadly to get them to bring their goods into a tier family warehouse he doesn't seem to be aware of the fact that he is grinning madly and Ilari is sort of looking at him from kind of behind into one side with a look of sort of um don't you say it possessive pride you <laughs> <laughs> Was that what you were worried I was going to say? Something along <laughs> I got the impression lines. that was worse than what she thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Drew, you flatter me. <laughs> I know it will win me no mercy, so don't worry there. Um, <laughs> I step away from the group and I, 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 uh, I do not interrupt Uncle Melly's reverie, but I do say a dark wind and a bright result. This is directed at Uncle Melly. The idea would be that only he can hear it. Yeah, that's if I if okay. if my if it were again. It, I don't know why I'm a cartoon in my own head this day, but it's it's as though my my <laughs> face is pressed against the back of his head, right? Like only only he is this is for him. Well then, okay, Jafar. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, <flatter> me. <laughs> Without turning towards you or breaking his sort of stream of enthusiastic hand signals, he says, Well, nephew, in spite of everything, you seem to have outdone yourself. The captain's a gruff sort, and she certainly would have appreciated your support staying in Diamacor to help her out, but she was able to navigate the waters you left her in, her words, fairly successfully, so... I think we can chalk this up as a win for you, if not an unqualified one. And, well, it pains me to say it, but he sort of takes a deep breath and squares his shoulders, even still facing away from you and continuing his hand gestures, and says, this may be the start of you redeeming yourself in the family's eyes. This hall will certainly help us to continue supplying the city. Though, of course, 
the shorter you can make the siege, the better. We are not very liquid, but we have several warehouses full of trade goods that, well, weren't easy to barter, and so have not gone out in the recent month or so. But um, now that we are cash poor, we are flush with goods. We can trade for the uh, goods that the Diamakor are bringing in. He stumbles over the unfamiliar word. And we can also hopefully make a profit, a tidy one, selling the goods we traded to them, to Caliban and Canis and parts further abroad. Maybe even the Sunless Lands, if we're lucky enough. Indeed. Well done. I match him poker face for poker face, so probably only he would see that at the idea that this is the beginning of my making good with the family, the look on my face, albeit subtly, is the exact look you get on your face when you drink something delicious and then realize you're a bit too drunk. <laughs> but I thank There's him a... graciously, and I step back to the group. Okay. Unless you were saying he does something he, else, such as stab me. He does not stab you. Okay. Um, that would be not his best. style, really. Yeah. <laughs> not his style. But have uh, somebody else stab you. He would. he would. He gives a slow nod, and you need to actually, I was going to say a thing, but let's have you roll for it. Okay. Oh boy, your sense plus hearing is just two dice. Go for it. You, you dirty, you, you. All right, here we go. You can do it. I believe in you. You're the one who didn't put any am, skills and sets. Am I too distracted to hear this? It is purposefully pitched for only Dosk to hear it. You can roll, but do know that it will be a high difficulty. Oh, sure, sure, sure. For the record, to add to the suspense, no matches over here. Surprising no one. All right. Uh, para nines. Not sure if that's broad enough. Okay. For the reader at home, that was five dice from... Did I say reader? Listener at home. Uh, that is five <laughs> dice from Rob Matt for Sense Plus Hearing. Dear ear reader. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dear ear reader. What the fuck? Dear reader, uh, I did not marry my betrothed. <laughs> In any case, uh, Rob Matt, you think, you can't be 100% certain, perhaps, but you think that you heard Uncle Melly say, thank all the gods, in a genuine tone of relief. But he was very quiet. Okay. So, these ships are being unloaded. Apatia is standing back a little bit regarding Imbi with a sense of open grief. Imbi is standing more or less impassively, but otherwise trying to sort of set up a system of communication with Romnet, uh, you know, who... Which I will is, absolutely continue for as long as needed. Yeah, uh, she has moved off the gangplank, uh, but you're still standing on the harbor. And you, of course, don't come up with a whole sign language in a matter of minutes, but you feel that you can probably communicate basic concepts you know, by the time uh, MB sort of turns her attention elsewhere, and that there is room to uh, sort of Expand use it. the knowledge that you have of other systems of signals from your troubadour days uh, to expand upon it and eventually maybe have a relatively nuanced system of communication. Awesome. 
provided you put enough time and effort into it, which who knows what Mott will allow for. Fair, on the one hand. On the other hand, we could possibly abstract this as a matter of XP spending. Indeed, we could, uh, provided that uh, the two of you were in the same place for a sufficient amount of time. I, I leave this to the whim of the Hollyhock God. <laughs> uh, we will, we will certainly discuss it, uh, and I imagine that uh, the ultimate result will be that there is a relatively reliable communication system at some point. In the meantime, now that everything is being unloaded and. Uncle Melly's nervous energy and sort of exuberance has been you know, sort of invested into getting this process started. Captain kind of gives him a nod and he gives her uh, a gesture of officious assent and he turns back to the carriage motioning Alary to join him where she sort of is looking around at the harbor in not exactly amazement but admiration and they step back up into the coach Point of order question. Yes. Is the captain's name actually really all and exactly Captain? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, presumably she was born with a different one, but she has never provided any other name to anyone. We have never been permitted to call her That is is for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. It suits her. Well, um, we have, let's see, we have some noble business to attend to, and we have a siege to break. Um... Just noble things. Just noble things. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. Oh no! Go, go for on, it. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, please. Um, I'm gonna pull a ring off my finger that I was wearing on my pinky finger, kind of like one, mm, a mm-hmm. small one. Um, and I'm gonna give Apatia a glance uh, to kind of hope she picks up on my intent because she told me to stand behind her, um, and hold it out to NB and say, "I hope that we can be friends." You don't have to talk for us to be friends. Imbi looks curiously at the ring that you hold out. I'm assuming this is the uh, one that you received from the young craftswoman in Tiamacor. Sure, I like the idea of that. It was the one that you had on your pinky because it wasn't big enough to, oh, yeah, to I fit about anywhere that. else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, she sort of looks at it curiously, and then her expression does something seemingly kind of complicated and obscure, and she reaches out and takes it, looking at it sort of wonderingly, and puts it on her thumb, which is about the size differential between your pinky and hers, uh, is that she has to sort of put it uh, on a much larger digit. And she gives you a pretty solemn, pretty deep bow. Uh, and you almost miss it, but just the barest ghost of a smile. Oh, you don't have to bow. I reassure her. Friends don't bow to each other. They lift each other up. She cocks her head again, and in a, a, a way that you can only interpret as slightly sarcastic, Gives you another, but much slighter bow. (laughs) Um, Uncle Melly sticks his head out of the carriage and says, Matthew, if you and yours are coming with, this is your last opportunity. Otherwise, you're walking back to the manor. As a point of geography and something 
Dosk would know, but that I don't. Are we are we closer to the next problem we have to solve, or farther than we would be, uh, given you know that we that we went from the manor to the harbor? Are you asking? I mean, the next problem we have to solve. Are you asking about the walls? Because you're further right. from yes. the walls. Yes, than you sorry, would be I, didn't, I didn't mean to be too colorful and make it unclear. Yes, that is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The manor is not on the most direct line to the walls, mm. but the manor is closer to the walls than the harbor is. Okay. Is Envy joining us? She does not seem to be headed toward the carriage, no. She seems to be kind of standing near the harbor and just observing proceedings. I'll ask her if she's ever ridden on the driver's seat of a carriage before, and if not, it's tons of fun. She sort of slowly cocks her head, and then returning it to upright, she shakes her head slowly and makes a obscure gesture towards Ulyssa that, Romnet, if you're watching, you sort of interpret as maybe later, and she turns to watch the unloading of the ships. I, I will pass that along and sign back to her that we can continue our work when it is convenient for her, to the degree that I can convey that. You think you get across the idea of later? Sure. Uh, and her relatively impassive gaze, which again, kind of creepy on a six-year-old, uh, you know, is about as much assent as you can hope to get. So you all load up in slash on the carriage and head back to Lid Manor. So once everybody is situated in carriage slash on the carriage in this case uh you have the opportunity to you know make any particular kind of conversation that you want to or or do any particular thing that you want to uh, on the way back uh Apecia, for her part uh joins lissa and the driver in the driver's seat uh but more or less stares straight ahead disconcerting the driver somewhat on the way back to lid manor anything in particular you want to say or do on the way If not, you will arrive in relatively short order after a mm, not stony silence inside the carriage, but certainly a noticeable silence inside the carriage back at Lid Manor. Um, disembarking. I don't know if you disembark from a carriage. In any case, getting out of the carriage, uh, you are deposited back inside of the sort of one of the main corridors of Lid Manor, and Uncle Melly looks at Dosk and says, Well, nephew, now might be a good time for you to inspect the walls. I doubt that your grandfather is particularly in the mood for conversation, but I will go check on what else might be going on in the council room and try to let you know. I do hope that whatever divine association you have can be helpful here, because we're at something of a loss. Family's men-at-arms are fairly well-trained, but they don't get a lot of practice in a real fight. And in any case, they'd be outnumbered 10 or 20 to 1 if they ventured outside the walls. So, please, well, it will do wonders for the city and for you, if you can help us. Divine intervention it is, then. Uh, if you'll permit me a minor retcon... Uh, I pass him a note, which I scribbled in the carriage in the midst of the stony <laughs> silence. Um, and I will roll to to determine the quality of the note, but it's a note for Grandfather Creasus. 
Okay. Uh, before we try to roll anything, what are you attempting to put in the note? Uh, since I won't get to fully present my great victory to him, I am, I am, I am presenting in my own way, in verse, I should add, which is what I'll be rolling for. Uh, what he should expect in terms of the Diamok ships. All right. Well, your command plus perform verse is five plus a master die. Okay. <laughs> Here goes, here goes something. I am dropping dice tonight. There's a, there's a pickup die. That is with the master die. That's three nines. Three nines. Very well. So given that you are not speaking this poem, I will not require you to extemporize any part of it, but describe for me the broad nature of this poem have you written a sonnet an epic have you written a limerick have you written a sestina have you written some non-form type of poetry and what does it contain i'm gonna be real with you hollyhock god uh we had a little stop there that the listener may not be aware of and i went ahead and actually wrote it and it is a cow poem um so here it is, and and we'll, <laughs> maybe it's better than what I wrote because of the way I rolled, but what it says is... Sure, sure. These woolen sails from past the moon that came hence thanks to this buffoon, from Diamach did they depart to Theret's shore. See all they've brought. <laughs> Beautiful. I love all my players equally, <laughs> but when poetry comes up, I love having Drew as a player in my game. <laughs> it's got the meter of a cow poem. There are no cows in it, but you know, hey. <laughs> I mean, Red Look is one of my favorite forms of poetry. Uh, Same. So yeah, let's let's say that the version that you send to, uh, to Creasus is in fact sort of like what that poem that you just recited would be after a few revisions you were you were inspired um and you send it on with uncle melly who gives you a concerned look but says nothing and takes the slip of paper and agrees to hand it to creasus and urges you to visit the walls apatia makes herself ready to follow you wherever you go. The carriage driver sets about unharnessing the horses and getting them stable ready. I guess so, we're going to head to the walls then. Alright, so you take toward the walls on foot, presumably Dusk in the lead. The boulevard that you took up from the docks to Lud Manor continues on through the sort of merchant families district, uh, and then you lead them off onto a smaller road that heads toward the walls and a smaller road that heads away from the gatehouse and simply to one of the broad sets of steps that leads up to the top of the walls. Now, I've described the walls of Theret in the past as being more for show than for defense, but it becomes pretty clear as you ascend them what this means. They are relatively tall, but relatively thin. They are 
made of a relatively plentiful local stone that can be quarried, but different families paid for different sections of the wall and designed the gatehouses, towers, stairs, crenellations, and walks differently. Some are rather more decorative than functional. Others are a little more functional, but still have things like, in the case of the stairway that you are walking up, a broad marble staircase up to the top of the wall. They at least had the good sense to make it parallel to the direction of the wall and not perpendicular to it, but it is not really meant for a stern defense of the city, so much as a an expensive civic project that demarcates the city proper from its outskirts. Those outskirts are currently, well, being trampled into the mud. The besieging army does not come all the way up to the foot of the walls. It stays out of arrow shot. But now that you have ascended the walls, you have a much better view of the army outside. It is probably getting on to late afternoon by this time, as you did not arrive first thing in the morning. But there's still plenty of light to see. And as you look out, this massive army curving from the coast all the way until you lose sight of them behind where the walls curve from going west to east to going north to south, uh, you are looking at a large mass of what might best be described as creatures. It's hard in the encampment that you look out on to see individuals if they aren't moving or separated from the mass, but it's not like they have tents. It's not like they have carts or horses. Barely any campfires. Instead, you just see teeming masses of bodies uh, ranging from, let's say, the size of a large dog to the size of three men sitting on each other's shoulders. There are also some decidedly non-bipedal uh, arrangements, some quadrupeds, quadrupeds, some what would you call them? Septipeds, sextipeds, six legs, uh, hexapeds. Yeah, uh, you were going to say sextipeds, are... which might be something else. I don't know. <laughs> Rar. Rar. Uh, there are some creatures that are tall and gangly the, enough that you think that the distance may be playing havoc with your sense of scale. But it's clear that not everything here is a familiar animal, much less a human. Interspersed throughout this large ringing encampment are large pavilions that seem to be made of woven together leaves. Those pavilions made of leaves are quite large uh, compared to the various figures that you can see moving about, and it is unclear what they are for, other than perhaps concealing what goes on inside from the side of defenders of the walls. What is clear is that if each of the creatures of any size that you can see moving around in the camp is 
a fighter of some kind, and if this density of figures continues all the way around the city, from the coast in the north all the way around to the coast south of the city, that you are easily looking at a hundred thousand uh, battle-ready creatures, which is half to a third of the population of Ferret. Maybe even more. Do they look different through the site? And is there an Octoritas in evidence? Excellent question. When you look at the camp through the site, most of these creatures do not have an Octoritas. They don't look any different through the site than they do to mortal eyes. However, every so often in the lines surrounding the city, you can see an Octoritas. Some of them are dimmer, some are brighter. None get quite as bright as Patia. But every pavilion has an Octoritas visible inside it. The strongest Octoritases are in the pavilions. How many pavilions were there again? From where you're standing, you can probably see 15 or 20. If they are kept up with that frequency all the way around the city, Dosk, you would know that that probably means there are about 100. Uh, I convey this information uh, and, oh. and, and make clear which parts of it are, are merely educated guesses. I don't think they'd be willing to get drinks either. <laughs> the number of drinks required might test even you. Um, I guess this may be a horrible idea, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> no, I really want to hear it. I like where she's going with this. <laughs> um, I am going to kind of make my Ectoritas known, like try to shine brightly. Um, mm -hmm. I know that uh, Glorious Fury is aspect related, but I want to do something like kind of like a ghost miracle with spirit maybe to just drop the veil and shine mm -hmm. brightly. Okay. Um, so you can shine as brightly as you can at Spirit 2, or you can pour miracle points, spirit miracle points into it. I'm just going to go ahead and drop one miracle point. Okay. Because that's like the bonus one that I have. Like, sure, I'm sure. remind the listener that we are currently tricked out with some bonus points. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tricked out is a great way to put that. So. Miraculously tricked out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you pour a miracle point into making yourself a beacon of spirit on the walls. And as the sun is just beginning to sort of journey toward the western horizon, a... I'm going to go with the word unsettling cry starts in the army encamped outside of the walls of Theret. It starts off in the area directly facing you and is taken up by the rest of the army surrounding the city. Among the sounds involved in creating this cry are wails, howls, hoots, screeches, shouts roars 
It's a dissonant cacophony of mostly animal sounds with a couple of disturbingly human voices thrown in. By the time the whole army is going, the most predominant sense you have is that of a goat's call. And then it dies away at around the same time that you let your miracle go and return to your normal brilliance of spirit. They don't seem to react in any other way. Was that a good response or a bad response? Dumb question. Did we hear the goat? Um, (laughs) I mean, I hear it now. It sounded... (laughs) If you had to guess what you were hearing was perhaps thousands of goats. Okay. Amid thousands of other animals, to be sure. Sure. I don't think that was the best possible outcome, but I'm extremely confident that it wasn't the worst. I was worried you'd say that. I was hoping that by doing that, one of them might have felt compelled to, you know, come over and chat. I'm just not sure we can detente with goats <laughs> and other beasts of the field, which, to be clear, is not what we're dealing with, I'm sure. But what are we then dealing with? I guess I turn to Romnet and I ask if this if these things resemble things he's seen or known of since he's he's been in the game longer than we have. Oh. That sounds like a knowledge lore roll. I'll also oh, look to Apatia. Totally. Oh, Your faith in me is generous. I don't, don't know if that was out loud or not, but I think the message came through either way. I don't think it was <laughs> out loud, but I did get a pair of sevens. Okay. Romnet, thanks to your traveling, sort of performing upbringing, you know an awful lot of fantastical stories, and you can't be sure of anything, but for whatever reason, looking at this army, hearing those sounds, they make you think of some of the more fantastical stories of Taraxan adventurers of old heading into the Shadowlands and encountering encountering monsters that were part human, part animal. Among those were things like centaurs, the upper half of a man, the lower half of a horse, Satyrs, the upper half of a man, the lower half of a goat. And other more upsetting sort of combinations like manticores and gorgons. As well as animal combinations like griffins and hippogriffs. The stories you see tend to have a single adventurer facing any number of strange combinations of beast and beast or beast and man or beast and beast and beast or beast and beast and man and beast and you get a strong vibe from this cacophony of that chimeric tradition 
So what if man and beast and beast and man and beast and man? Do you do you summarize for the group there, Romnet or? Uh... Uh, I, I I summarize at least to the point of so chimeras and the Shadowlands and good luck to all of us. So each beast is many beasts at once. That's new. I turn to Patia and ask if she's heard of anything like this. She raises an eyebrow at you and gives you a tight smile and says, You mean other than the spirits of our ancestors possessing the bodies of our living and turning them into part beast, part humans? Well, no. Her smile is a little brittle. Yeah. I really, I just look awkward for a moment. <laughs> that seems kind of called for. Yeah. Her look softens a little bit, but she says nothing else. Well, this is perhaps where I admit my bias. It seems to me that the ones whose power we can sense are like to be the leaders. So if we have any chance of detente of solving this with liquor, as it were, then hope lies with them, not with the throngs of multi-beasts. But how do we get to them without potentially attracting the throngs of beasts? Well, we've established during a, an awkward family encounter that I can make us invisible to, to people. How much are we willing to bet that I can make ourselves that I can make us all invisible to uh, those? It's worth a try. We'll have to uh, keep the the spirit shine down a bit. I think the best plan we've got is to find the nearest the the nearest brightness <laughs> that we can access, <laughs> passing by the minimum number of of thrall. And for me to make us a a moving bubble of uh, hmm. of nothingness, and for us to try not to touch anyone and make our way over there, I support okay. this plan. Nothing can go wrong. So this this might be something that you had already settled in your mind, but who all are you trying to take outside the walls? This may be a good time to reiterate my previous statement that all are welcome but safety is by no means guaranteed. I turn to Romnit and I'd say, would you rather stay behind? We don't know what we're encountering here. I also stare at Romnit. <laughs> if that, if the little shadow beastie comes out again, you should probably uh, keep a distance. I should probably remain behind for this. I am not immensely well suited toward combat i have some some training but <laughs> apatia adds it might be wise for me to stay behind as well i am um, i'm unsure of how successfully i could mask my divinity well it's settled then you two protect each other uh we'll be back 
Yes, we'll be back before you even realize we're gone. Well said. I will raise an eyebrow at that. <laughs> the patient looks at Lissa seriously and says, I will admit I am skeptical of this claim, but I urge you to attempt it all the same. And she gives you a small hug. No, I hug her back. I grab Romnet by the hand and I say, stay safe, and I'll do what I can to do the same. Appreciate that. Are you descending from the wall directly, or are you going to go to a gatehouse and exit that way instead? Or are we going to zoop over there? Uh, can we zoop invisibly? That sounds like me doing a lot of things at once, and I imagine it would cost miracle points. Um, Invisible zooping. I'm trying to, I'm consulting the rulebook to see <laughs> what an invisible, an invisible zoop would probably run me. Um, established that they're both, well, so the zooping is something I can do in Fermata without cost, but it doesn't necessarily follow that I can do that elsewhere without yeah. cost. So depending on the distances involved, uh, zooping as we have termed it, which is creation of nothing between one place and another is a level four miracle, which you can do for free. However, if you are attempting to move either a large complement or over large distances or both, it goes up to a major creation, which is a level 7, which I will point out to the listener is described as make neat or big things. <laughs> it's a damn fine description. We also have not, I don't think so far, talked about simultaneous miracles. So, you know, bubble, bubble of nothing, which then itself gets juped. So I believe that if you're trying to create a bubble of nothing that would last, that would be a separate miracle, and you would then zoop it. So I think if you were willing to go in small zoops and just trying to bubble two people, that would be two level four lesser creations, and neither would cost you anything. The possible complication there would be your ability to successfully mask your level three spirit and Lissa's level two spirit, which would be handled individually by each of you. Now, to be fair, masking that is not itself a miracle. It is something that you just kind of decide to do, but it is also the sort of thing that you might expect an army with Octoritas's in it to be on the lookout for. And well, Lissa is glorious, which makes it a little harder to conceal her nobilis nature. I mean, tell us something. Her nobilis state. But... Wait, am I am I perpetually glorious? Is that what's happening now? That's no, funny. no. You you have the invocation of a simple miracle to uh, you know make yourself glorious, but it you know has a lingering effect what we might call story a narrative effect of making you particularly noticeable uh, kind of like when you stare at a bright light for too long and then you just see the afterglow kind of like that yeah okay i'm already doing um, enough simultaneously that i probably can't justify grammatically dimming or negating your glory even temporarily except insofar as the bubble can achieve <laughs> i hate to burn uh miracle points <laughs> Understandably. Um, but the other option, I think, would be to uh, perform an aspect miracle 
So ensuring that we would be heard and then shout off the top of the wall more or less that we are looking to uh, speak and I forget my brain is not functioning as it should, but we're looking to speak and perhaps come to an understanding uh, with a leader figure. I believe the term might be parley. Or parlay, depending uh, on how you I want I don't want to go to the Elizabeth Swan direction of things. So I intentionally avoided that phrase. Yeah, they talk gotcha. wasn't right, but I too was thinking about Elizabeth Swan. So. <laughs> <laughs> do we zoop or do we shout? There was not a... I was trying to come up with something that rhymes with zoop that... Um, do we zoop or do we shoop a doop? Um, shoop de whoop. Yeah, I. Do we shoop or do we whoop? <laughs> if if we well if we shoop, there will be trouble. But if we whoop, it will be double. There will be double. Yeah. Um, I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's a lie. <laughs> I'm having a blast. <laughs> Well, the, the the danger in the shouting plan is we might gain the attention of uh, of things that definitely don't want to parlay. Um, I say things, which is judgy, but, you know, and, yeah, until proven I'm, otherwise. I feel like we're judging these uh, chimera. Like, just because they happen to be multiple recognizable species doesn't mean that they're not willing to chat with us. We t- it's true. We, too, contain multitudes. Well, I guess, yeah, so the question is stealth or non-stealth? That is the question. <laughs> Whether does nobler in mind. Or, or to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous chimera. Yeah, I don't know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, to take arms against the nobilis of sea and beasts in them. <laughs> Wait, we, met the, we, we, met the, we met her, yeah. Um... Even when I'm in the episode, I'm a peanut gallery. <laughs> I feel like you're right that stealth might be misconstrued, but I also feel like you tried sending out a friendly message, and the answer was yeah, that's true. Was a it was unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah. So stealth is going to be the answer this time. We got to get to someone we can talk to, and then be prepared to zoop out, smoke bomb, <laughs> pocket sand. <laughs> Why did my mind? Go to Rigadara Taka for a mob psycho just flinging salt at everything. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. <laughs> That's not what I was picturing, but it is what I what I think we meant. Um, okay, so I think <laughs> we're gonna try a stealth Um Have we have we, do we have a solution for your glory? And how to how to hide your light under a bushel? I think mechanically, as long as Liz is not doing anything else, okay. she can. As you said, hide her light under a bushel. Okay. Yes. As long as that's all she's doing. And I put my glory under wraps for now. I will be that bushel. (laughs) Oh. Oh. This this is like a bad Christian rock radio song. I'll be your bushel. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I hate it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm doing everyone injury tonight. I don't mean to. Um, You're my friend, a bushel and a pack. (laughs) It is. It is ultimately more or less okay. <laughs> I mean, consider it revenge, at least on Adam, for as the poet once said. That's true. Yeah, I owe you, I owe you many licks oh. for those. That's true. Yeah. Let me assure you that is a losing battle. Uh, <laughs> 
So, Lissa hides her Octoritas as best she can. Dusk, you create a bubble of sort of audiovisual nothing around you and Lissa, and then you create nothing between you and a point on the ground outside the walls. You move to it. You create another nothing between you and a point just shy of the encroaching army, and you move to it. And then you sort of scan around, and you see a relatively bright Octortas from a nearby pavilion, the closest one to the walls. You create nothing between you and it, and you move to it. You find yourself inside one of these pavilions. And it takes you a moment to take in what you are seeing. Inside of this pavilion, the pavilion covers an area probably roughly the size of Lid Manor and its grounds. And there are a number of creatures, people, moving around. You see goat-legged men. You see horse-bodied men. You see, well, goat-legged and horse-bodied women. But you also see some that have primate features, some that have snake features, one that has scorpion features. None of these have an Octoritas. You do see a mostly nude man that has a small Octoritas, and in front of him is the probably body of some kind of being. Maybe it's under construction as he is moving things around invisibly on the other side of it, but the body itself is the size of a small house. It has an un determined number of legs and arms, and seems very roughly clutched together. It seems as yet inanimate, but the strongest Octoritas in the tent is coming from it. So far, nothing seems to have paid you much notice. I'm focusing on just not being my glorious self, so. Indeed, taking, you are rather focused there. Taking all your energy. Yeah, it's exhausting. Well, one only gets one chance to make a first impression. Hmm? So things things are relatively bustling in here. There are there are. It's not we're not we're not alone with 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 the leader or leaders, as it were. Indeed. All told, there are probably two dozen bodies in here, including the large one that seems under construction. But most are mortal and without an Octoritas, that's so that's true. something we've got going for true. That's true. There are, Which is are nice. two Octoritases in here. Yeah, two for two. Well, I don't imagine we have a better plan than revealing ourselves. And nope. uh, and making uh, making our initially peaceable intentions known. Uh, so I think before, I guess I guess my bubble covers both sight and sound. So it's not as though we can announce it does. we can announce it's not as though we can announce ourselves orally before uh, that's a u r before appearing visually. Uh, Indeed. So I think all at once, what they would probably see is 
us appearing as if out of nowhere, as if the heat of the day has begun to dissipate and all of a sudden you can see clearly. And I would do my best at the moment that we appear to say, we've come to talk. I hold my hands up in the universal uh, here peaceably. I do likewise. Dusk, roll me charm plus graces, five dice. You bet you bet your boots I will. That is two sixes. Which is two sevens. Because, because would you because. like to explain why? I wouldn't, because I'd rather hear you say it. Well, because the person saying it is a striking sad boy. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Every head-like appendage whips around in your direction inside of this pavilion, except, of course, the one on the as-yet-inert body under construction. But the one who speaks is the only barely-clothed man with the weak Octoritas, who looks surprisingly calmly in the direction of the two of you, and says in heavily-accented Taraxin, Welcome. On behalf of Palaran, god of wilderness, shadow, verdure, and rot, have you come to surrender? And that is where we will end our session. Get to think about that question for a while, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That the, is the answer the goal, is no. The least. answer is no. <laughs> what what manner of no will we be proffering? <laughs> That concludes this ep- episode, this session of Dicebox. Thanks for joining us. I hope our players and listeners enjoyed it as much as I did and that you'll join us again next time. If you're hearing us now, then you probably know where to listen to this, but we can be found almost any place one can listen to podcasts as well as on the wider web at dicepunks.com and on Twitter as at Dicepunks. With that, I think we're ready to say farewell. Say goodbye to the kind folks at home, players. Thanks for listening. You know, first impression's a good thing, but scrambling afterwards, the chaos that ensues underrated thanks for listening everyone and remember don't judge a chimera by their beastly appendages thanks everyone for listening and uh do remember that it's not always the only choice to go directly into battle you can stay behind in politic instead (laughs) meet the (laughs) (laughs) in-laws And as the poet once said, in times like these, I feel an animal deep inside, heel to haunch on bended knees. Thank you for tuning in, dear listeners, and stick around through the admin stuff. There's a lovely Lissa's line waiting for you at the end of it. The songs in this episode, theme of the Dice Punks and its acoustic version, were written and recorded by the regal of nothing himself, Drew. Cover art is by Joanne, who has appeared on the podcast now and again. Check out her work around the internet where she goes by anything so's embroidery. Site design and graphics for DicePunks.com are by Robin, the player behind Alyssa, an irrepressible Duchess of Fury. Rain and the one roll engine it runs on were created by Greg Stolze, whose work can be found in a lot of cool places, but uh, you should probably start at GregStolze.com. Nobilis was created by Jenna Catherine Moran and can be found alongside much of her other really intriguing work, uh, tabletop role-playing and otherwise, at a afarandsunlessland.wordpress.com. Links to both of those systems and authors can be found on the punk grimoire section of our website, dicepunks.com. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, that's reward enough on its own. But if you're so inclined, you can help us out by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen to us, telling your friends who you think would like us to give us a listen, and even by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash dicepunks. We have fun rewards available for backers, including a patron-only Discord and access to the Dice Peaks after show for episodes one and following. Regardless, we hope you'll tune in again. And until then, remember, subtlety is for cowards. before Fermata that now is not was a humble community of craftsmen craftspeople it was from them that I learned that materials come in families metal, wood, glass stone, ceramics plying our trade often required us to specialize in the family that resonated with us but dabble in the others enough to become familiar with them and some families could be a cruel medium. I like to think that everyone's got a material family or two in them somewhere. Metals annealed into something harder by life. Wood, ever aspiring to grow but easily cut down. Those perfect girls of glass, beautiful to behold but just as likely to cut you when shattered. There are those who are blind to the differences in materials who would try to force a golden soul to be as delicate as glass. It takes a craftsperson to see those materials for what they are and accept them as such, which is why I found my home in that community. I've always had quite the discerning eye you see and touch for that sort of thing. Now, why don't you come here and let me discover what you're made of? <laughs>